From WSCFM and HD1 Columbia, I'm Ward Jollis. And I'm Erin Slowing. This is Localize from WUSC News. The number of COVID cases reported by USC has dropped dramatically since August. But footage of massive off-campus parties has many wondering if USC's decreased cases are just a result of the decreased testing. So to tell us more is Dr. Anthony Albert, Chair of the Department of Epidemiology and Biostatistics. Meanwhile, Clemson University leads the U.S. in on-campus cases of the virus, with quarterback Trevor Lawrence testing positive just yesterday. Senior news writer David Ferrara and sports editor Megan Kinner of Clemson student newspaper The Tiger are here to discuss. All that and more, coming up on Localize. first. Live from WUSC News, I'm Lydia Blackstone. The University of South Carolina COVID-19 dashboard remains at new normal tonight with 58 total active cases heading into Halloween weekend. Videos are already circulating on social media showing students packed outside of a bar in five points for the beginning of Halloween weekend. As students and communities prepare for the festivities around the state, there are new safety precautions to keep in mind. WUSC News' Finn Carlin has the latest for Halloween 2020. As Halloween is taking place tomorrow night, people are preparing their candy, scary movies, and creative costumes to celebrate the festivities. This year, people are having to participate in activities during a pandemic, changing the way that large neighborhoods and other areas have gatherings or simply have trick-or-treating. A local Prisma Health pediatrician says that some events, however, can be done safely and still in the same Halloween spirit. Dr. Deborah Greenhouse says that families should stick together and not combine with other groups while trick-or-treating, and that those handing out candy should sit outside the home as reported by WIS. Greenhouse says that everyone should wear masks whether you are trick-or-treating or passing out candy and that people should set aside the treats they receive from others for a few days as to ensure that any trace of COVID-19 dies off from the surfaces. For any families that are uncomfortable with going door-to-door in a pandemic, Greenhouse suggests staying home and finding other ways to have Halloween fun while being safe. Finn Carlin, WSC News, Columbia. With just three days remaining until the 2020 election, over 75 million Americans have already voted in the general election. As Sarah Hudock-Jeffrey reports, voters should take a couple things into consideration if they still haven't casted their vote. With the increase in mail-in voting due to the pandemic, counting the ballots will take some time, so we may not know the results for a few days. Mail ballots typically take longer to count due to verifying identity and mundane handling, which could lead to delays in declaring a winner in battleground states. This issue could possibly turn election day into election week. It's up to major news outlets to declare the winner, and experts are encouraging journalists to be transparent about the vote count in order to avoid adding to the conspiracy theories about the validity of the vote. Experts also encourage those following the election to be aware of partisan, misleading maps and social media that may generate a narrative that one candidate has already prevailed when, in fact, there are lots of votes still left to count. So expect the election results next week to be delayed and be aware of misleading information. Sarah Hudak Jeffrey, WSC News. While Gamecock fans may be getting a break from football this weekend, there's still another opportunity to support Gamecock athletics this weekend. Karan Alston has more. The South Carolina football team has a bye week this week after losing last week to LSU. They will return to action next week at home next Saturday, November 7th, facing off against number 8 Texas A&M. And in other news, the women's soccer team 
will take on Mississippi State tonight at Stone Stadium, 7 p.m., for senior night in their last home game of the season. For WSC News, I'm Cron Alston. The Dow Jones Industrial Average dropped 156 points today. The Nasdaq fell 274 points and the S&P 500 dropped 40 points. It's currently 68 degrees outside and a sunny with a low of 46 tonight. Tomorrow will be sunny as well with a high of 66 degrees with a low of 54. I'm Lydia Blackstone and you're listening to WUSC News. It's 606. The Internet is a wonderful resource for kids. But in times like these, the Internet can also increase your child's risk of being a victim of crime. Instruct your child to never give out personal information, like their name, address, or school name without your approval. Teach them about frauds and scams that often appear as friendly emails or offers that are too good to be true. Place your computer where you can see what your child is doing. Use software that prevents access to inappropriate sites and chat rooms. Teach your child what to do if they come across such sites or receive solicitations from strangers. Learn how they're using the Internet and how much time they're spending on it. Let's keep our kids as safe in the cyber world as we try to do in the real one. Visit ncpc.org to learn more about how we can protect our children. That's ncpc.org. A message from the U.S. Department of Justice, National Crime Prevention Council, and the Ad Council. Listening to Localize from WSC News, I'm Erin Slowey. USC's COVID dashboard currently reports a total of 58 active cases of the virus on campus. This is a sharp decline compared to the semester's start in August when the numbers climbed over 1,000. Also in decline is the number of tests issued by the university, which has many skeptical of the low reported infection rate, especially as footage of massive off-campus tailgate parties with no masks or social distancing circulates on social media. Here to discuss what this could mean for students going forward is Dr. Anthony Allberg of the Arnold School's Department of Epidemiology and Biostatistics. Thank you for joining me. How are you doing? Thank you for having me, Erin. Yeah, no problem. So the first question that I have for you, so like I said, there are 58 current total active cases and 2,071 total tested. This has seen, we've seen a decrease in the number of people that have been tested since the beginning of the semester. Why do you think that is? So the the question is decrease in number of tests? Mm Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. So I would suspect that there's some degree of what's been referred to as testing fatigue. So um, students um, in particular, maybe um, not wanting to be tested multiple times um, and, and, and that sort of thing. And maybe a, a feeling um, of you know more secure that things are safer now, which would be a false impression. Yeah, so our rival, Clemson University, requires its on-campus students to get tested once a week and randomly selects off-campus students. Is this something that you feel like USC should be doing to help mitigate the spread of the virus, if we could do it? Yeah, so that's a good question. You know, what is going on across campuses nationally really varies quite a bit from uh, less stringent uh, than the University of South Carolina to much more uh, rigorous routine testing. So I think uh, what the University of South Carolina has in place um, does help ensure some degree of security, but clearly the more um, frequent and thorough the testing, the more complete the information, um, and therefore um, 
you know, a, a, a stronger plan moving forward. Mm-hmm. So since the beginning of the coronavirus pandemic, the concept of herd immunity, herd immunity has been suggested as a solution to the coronavirus. Herd immunity is when a large part of the community becomes immune from the disease. Is herd immunity something that you think that you, the USC community can achieve? Uh, well, I'll just clarify, uh, herd immunity um, really is achieved, it would need to be achieved on a much broader scale than just the University of South Carolina campus. So um, the estimates that I've heard so far of the percent of the population that would have to be immune either from prior infection or from vaccination, once that becomes available is 70% of the population. Um, We are nowhere near that as a university community, as a state or as a nation. So um, we strive for herd immunity and the the plan A for getting there would be an efficacious vaccine that was widely disseminated in the population and had a high degree of acceptance that people who needed to be vaccinated actually, um, you know, agreed to, to be vaccinated. So there's a lot of hurdles to overcome, but that's the the hope in the absence of that, then it would be the, um, you know, SARS-CoV-2, the virus that causes COVID-19 would be burning its way um, through the population to get to that level of infection. And that's obviously not the preferred strategy. Mm -hmm. So President Trump has said that he aims to have a vaccine by the end of the year. Besides a vaccine, what else do you think is important for scientists and doctors to focus on in terms of preventative health care for the future? Um, For COVID-19 now specific, so, um, you know, your question wasn't about the timeline, but that um, seems to be a highly over-optimistic timeline. So I think if we had a a vaccine that was proven efficacious in a trusted, um, validly obtained manner, um, and then the ramp up to get, make that uh, vaccine available to the general population, the most realistic and optimistic uh, estimates I've heard would be the beginning of summer uh, 2021. So um, still within reach, but not uh, not within that time frame that you mentioned. And um, in terms of other um, measures now, so uh, our primary prevention measures um, were uh, very well uh, addressed on the ad prior to this uh, uh, interview. The, you know, they, um, again, there might be fatigue, they may seem boring and low tech, but physical distancing, um, you know, avoiding congregate settings to the degree possible. And when present in congregate settings, again, being very careful about uh, distancing, the wearing of face coverings, which um, uh, again, seems to be a source of some varying opinions, but the evidence is very clear Um, that uh, face masks uh, help prevent infected people from spreading the infection and they prevent an uninfected individual from being infected. Um, And then uh, hand hygiene, uh, taking good care of uh, washing the hands um, frequently, especially when when in contact with high touch surfaces. Yeah, so for a lot of the students that I've talked to who go downtown or go to parties, they have already had the coronavirus, and they say they can't get it again. So can students get COVID twice? And what does that mean? Yeah, that's a really interesting question, because there's been uh, conjecture about that. But 
Um, you know, in the history of uh, the human race and all we know about infectious diseases, um, once infected uh, with a, a virus, then that immunity is long lasting. Um, you know, unless the virus um, evolves over time itself, like we see with influenza every year, that's why we need to get uh, an influenza shot every year um, to be current against the most recent iteration of the of the virus. But um, and there have been uh, reports in the media of uh, people apparently um, uh, potentially being infected twice. And I think there might actually now recently have been a validated case where that um, proved to be true. But by and large, that's not true. Those students are correct that they really have uh, virtually zero risk of uh, reinfection um, due to the their uh, immune status. And the reason that's been a complicated issue with COVID-19 is because there's um, these cases that have been referred to as long haulers. So people who really have persistent infection for a long time. So their symptoms may um, wane and um, ebb and go away even and be very low level, but then the symptoms come back and it appears to be a new infection. But in fact, the infection never went away. It's just a manifestation of more severe symptoms through a long disease course. Mm-hmm. So now students can get the antibody test at Student Health Services. What is like? What does an antibody test tell you? And do you think the result of the antibody test will impact future decision making for students? Good question. So um, compared to the um, test for active infection, the antibody test is looking for evidence of past infection. So the routine diagnostic testing is is for current infection. Whereas the uh, and and tells you nothing about um, about the past, the antibody test would help to answer the question: Have I been infected previously? And maybe, as is more likely with a young, healthy, uh, mostly healthy student population, um, may have had low-level symptoms and not known was that COVID nineteen or the common cold or the flu or something else. And so, um, it's valuable in that respect. So the university recently announced that there will not be a traditional spring break next semester in hopes of limiting travel and the spread of the coronavirus. Students are also, many of them are returning home for Thanksgiving break in a month. So if a student decides to travel, how can they do so while limiting the spread of the virus? Like, what are some measures that they can do? Okay, so the the question is um, specific to travel? Yes. Okay. So again, it would be the same, um, the same preventive measures. One that I left out previously, though, speaking of influenza, um, it would be um, highly encouraged during this time for uh, all students, um, faculty and staff to be sure to get um, the flu shot. There's the fear of the, not only the second wave and surge in COVID-19, but if that runs in parallel to our typical or even an epidemic flu season, um, that will create uh, tremendous risks to individuals and to the health system uh, at, at large and put us in jeopardy. So that's uh, something that can be done. And then specific to travel, um, you know, it's the same issues of, um, so if you were going to drive in a car to maybe have it, if it's possible, someone in your social network that you know has been adhering to safe practices or agree um, to um, limit social activities for some number of days, say a week, 
prior to the travel because inside a car um, with closed windows in cold weather, the opportunity for transmission would be great. Um, similarly, for airplane travel, um, you know, the airlines have systems in place, but all the usual protective practices that we would want in place. Um, definitely, you would want hand sanitizer um, and uh, multiple um, face masks. So if you needed to change a face mask while in the airport versus changing flights and so on, that you were um, sure to be adhering as uh, best as possible to the, the um, COVID-19 preventive practices. Yeah, so my final question that I have is, what do you think students should know about the coronavirus that they maybe don't know already or that you think is really important for them to remember? Okay, I guess um, a few things come to mind. So uh, cut me off if you need to. But I guess number one, I think we're in a time now as a society and even since this globally where there is fatigue, we've been in this pandemic for a while, um, but to hang in there and be vigilant. If ever there was a time to be vigilant with all the prevention practices that you've heard about, it would be now because if you look at what's happening nationally in the northern states and also in Europe, which is at those same northern latitudes, you're seeing a huge surge in COVID-19 that's consistent with consistent with the predicted second wave of uh, COVID-19. So we're really entering in a period of the greatest risk that we may, may experience uh, during this pandemic. Yeah. Number two for the <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm going to have to cut you off. Um, okay. We're running out of time. That's all the time that we have. But thank you so much for joining me. Thank you very much, Erin. I appreciate it. Yeah, that was Dr. Alberg, Chair of Epidemiology and Biostatistics Department at the Arnold School of Public Health. Up next, you'll hear about our rival school and how they are managing the pandemic. Sexual Assault Violence Intervention and Prevention, or SAVIP, is an office on USC's campus which provides services for survivors of interpersonal violence and or sexual assault. These services include counseling referrals, housing referrals, crisis intervention, safety planning, hospital accompaniment, just to name a few. SAVIP also provides trainings and presentations surrounding healthy relationships, bystander accountability, uh, cycle of violence, consent, sexual assault, stalking and harassment, hate crimes, and there are other plethora of trainings and presentations that we provide. If you are interested in getting involved with SAVIP or interested in any of the presentations or trainings or interested in any of the services, you can contact us at 803-777-8248 or you can come by our office, which is on the first floor of Thompson Student Health Center, 1409 Divine Street. listening to Localize from WSC News. I'm Morjalis. Clemson University currently leads the United States in campus cases of the coronavirus, with star quarterback Trevor Lawrence testing positive for the virus late last night. How are students responding to these new numbers? Is Clemson's approach to, uh, to handling the pandemic working? And what does Lawrence's diagnosis mean for the rest of football season? Well, here to give us a little bit more on all of that are two members of Clemson University's student newspaper, senior news writer David Ferrara. David, thank you for joining me today. Happy to join you. 
and sports editor Megan Kinner. Megan, thank you. Thanks for having me. All right. So, David, I'm going to start with you first. First of all, what is the environment like at Clemson right now? I think right now at Clemson, there's an overall sense of there's a pandemic going on, but there's that sort of weighing the costs and benefits of, you know, well, there's a college experience. We want to get our college experience in. So I feel like people are trying to be safe as much as they can. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of you know misinformation going around about how the virus is spread, how does not spread the virus. And I think that's influencing how people are responding. Um, especially on campus when it comes to mask wearing and when it comes to um, the rising cases that we've seen and how um, prevalent the spread is on campus. Yeah. So, David, you've been covering the coronavirus extensively at the Tiger uh, since school began. Um, So tell me, how has the university been taking steps to make sure everybody is staying safe during the pandemic? The university has been taking a lot of steps to make sure that everybody stays safe. Um, But I feel like the university has the university has definitely implemented a rigorous testing program, um, which we've seen through the um, number of tests. I mean, the university has said that the closest um, university to us doing testing similarly is University of Illinois. Um, but overall, we're doing a lot of testing, which is just showing how many cases we actually have on campus. The university has chalked us up to the testing that we're doing, but on a national level, we can see when that argument gets played out. Um, there's differing opinions as to whether it really is showing just the spread or if it's actually, um, you know, representative of a bigger issue. So I, I think that the university has definitely taken an approach to uh, trying to counter the spread through its testing. But I feel like there's more that can be done through actual um, prevention and through community and inf- spreading information about what's going on and yeah. how bad the situation is. Yeah, well, I mean, c- clearly... Clearly, there's some concern here from an outsider perspective. Uh, Clemson has had, you know, over 4,600 confirmed student cases since testing began in June. Um, And in fact, just a few days ago, you actually published an article with the headline, Clemson University has the most cumulative positive COVID-19 cases out of any university in the United States. I mean, are students there taking this pandemic seriously? Or, I mean, is something else at play here? I feel like a lot of the response that I got to the article when I published it was almost a little bit of disbelief because I I, I feel like um, one of the terms that people have been talking about lately is pandemic fatigue and how, you know, we're sort of getting used to this new normal. And because we're getting used to this new normal, it doesn't feel like as pressing an issue as it might have back in March when everything was new and coming out and, you know, a new alert. So I feel like people, you know, when they saw that article and seeing that we have the most cases, it definitely just felt disconnected from what actually is happening on campus. But that's not to say that it's not true and that, you know, what is happening at Clemson is not being represented by the data. It's just that the environment is definitely disconnected from what is actually happening. Yeah. So, Megan, I'm going to move to you now really quick. Late last night, we got word that Trevor Lawrence, who is the Clemson quarterback and number one prospect for this year's NFL draft, tested positive for COVID-19. And that sent waves of shock throughout the sports community across the country. Uh, But tell me first, what has the response been like for Tiger fans in Clemson? Um, I would say, I mean, initially when we got the news, I mean, everyone's phones were blowing up. We were like, oh my gosh, it's happening. What Protect Trevor. (laughs) Um, Yeah. (laughs) But I mean, we know, we know, like, I mean, we've had some of the top recruiting classes in the past few years, so we're pretty deep and you know, Clemson football likes to say, like, we're too deep, you know, mm-hmm. so, yeah. and we are, we have, you know, a lot of really talented players, and because we get to blow out these teams, a lot of these backups, you know, second, third string players have already had real game experience, so, like, um, I'm 
me and a lot of other Tiger fans aren't too worried. Um, okay. we, you know, we're pretty confident that Trevor's going to get better. He'll be okay. Yeah. Um, Let me ask you really quick. You're the sports editor at Mm -hmm. the Tiger in Clemson. um, And a lot of people from, and I'm sure a lot of people in Clemson are thinking about this too. A lot of people aren't necessarily looking at the game this weekend, but they're looking at the weekend after against Notre Dame. What do you think this means for that game? Yeah, well, there's there's actually a chance that Trevor will still get to play. Um, Yeah, and what would need to happen for that? Yeah, so for that to happen... So he got his test on Wednesday, but the test came back. He got the results on Thursday. So that's when we found out. So because his test came back, um, because he had the test on Wednesday, that is included in the 10 days of isolation that he needs to be in. Okay. Okay. Um, Yeah. And there's also this discussion about Nick Saban, too. Nick Saban tested positive, for those who don't know. But then the NCAA said that as long as he had three negative tests, that he could come back. Do you know if there's something similar like that going to happen with Trevor? Yeah, that's not going to happen, I don't think, because he is having symptoms. Um, Mm. They're mild, but it's highly doubtful that it is a false positive because he is having symptoms. Gotcha. And and have people been taking this seriously at football games and whatnot in Clemson from what you can tell? I mean, what kind of restrictions does the university have in place? Yeah. I mean, the university has tried really hard. I mean, I give them credit. They've really tried to be able to have, you know, a real fan experience for, you know, because it helps the football team too. Like, yeah. So, and they want the football team to do well. Everyone does. But I, from, from, what I've seen, I personally don't think people are taking it as seriously at games. Um, from where I'm seated, seated in the stadium, um, I can't see the student section, so I can't speak on that, but I have heard things. Um, but from what I can see, it's just regular fans. A lot of them a lot of them do wear their masks, but a lot of the masks are face shields okay. or they're the, the neck guards, so those don't really do as much. Mm-hmm. And then a lot of people don't wear their masks correctly or wear them at all. So it's a little, it's a little concerning, um, but yeah. And David, I'm going to move back to you now a little bit. What is your opinion on the response by the university? What did, you know, how have they been doing to, you know, how have they been doing to make sure everybody is safe here? Um, have they been doing a good job from what you've seen? I think, I think that, you know, just to counter on, um, or just to add to what she was saying is just that, you know, people, I've seen people inside of academic buildings and students in academic buildings, you know, they'd walk in with their mask on, sit down, get situated and then take their mask off. And I, I think that that comes from a sense of a lack of information of how the virus is spread and like how dangerous that is. Because, you know, to, to if people, I feel like if people knew more about um, how it's spread airborne and how, you know, that is actually the main method of transmission, indoor transmission in a closed space when you don't have a mask on, then people would know, okay, then this is actually the most important time to put on a mask. And I feel like to wrap that back to what you're asking, that's that's where the university comes in and the university needs to make sure that information is being spread and emphasized. You know, the university's put up stickers around campus that say mandatory mask zone, but it almost seems like that mask zone expires as soon as you get to your little study corner where you're in your own little spot. But in reality, you're still breathing out what could be the virus if you're an asymptomatic carrier and then spreading it to the people around you, even if they're six feet away. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and finally for you guys, I wanted to end off by asking, you know, what has it been like for you guys at the tiger covering this pandemic? I mean, I'm sure that you've heard recently our student newspaper here, the daily Gamecock went dark for a week after the sheer exhaustion that has come with covering this crazy time. So really quick for both of you, how has it been to be a student journalist in this incredibly odd time in news? David, I'll start with you first. Um, I think that 
the the hardest part, at least for me, has been um, working with the administration. The administration's been helpful and has been transparent, and whenever we've asked them, but it's it's been more of a you need to ask and you'll get what you ask for very specifically. So I think that getting information about the the data that's not just released on the dashboard and the data that we're not just specifically asking for, and figuring out what we need to ask for to get a full picture and a full context on what's going on has mm-hmm. really been the hardest part because it's easy to look at numbers and say, okay, you know, four thousand five hundred thirty-six. You know, that's that sounds like a lot, but maybe that's not too bad. But when you look at that relative to how many people go to Clemson, how many people are on campus, and what other universities in the nation are at, that provides the full perspective. That what that's what we I've been trying to, and the Tigers been trying to do. Yeah, yeah, I got you. I'm sure many life lessons been learned. Megan, what about you? Yeah, I mean, for me, because I, you know, I'm sports editor, so I cover mainly sports. So we've been very fortunate to be able to have sports to cover. Um, that was a huge sigh of relief coming into the fall because um, we didn't know if that was going to happen or not. Mm-hmm. So I mean, it's from from my perspective, we've been we've been good. I mean, it's 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 still fun to be able to cover sports even during this pandemic. Kind of have a sense of normalcy a little bit having yeah. sports back. So yeah, well, that was David Ferrara, senior news. Rep- reporter at Clemson University student newspaper, The Tiger, and Megan Kenner, sports editor at the paper. Megan and David, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Thanks. Thank you. And that's it for this episode of Localize. Make sure to join us every Friday at 6 p.m. for our local take on this week's biggest stories. Localize is a production by WSC News and is produced by Mary Bryant Charles and Ward Jollis. The outreach coordinator for Localize is Rita Naidu, and the music is called Freedom by Atch. If you want to listen to other new shows and WSC News podcast, you can find those at garnetmediagroup.org. Brady Fitzgerald has the sports up next. I'm Ward Jollis. And I'm Erin Slowey. Have a great Halloween, everyone. We'll see you next week. And don't forget to vote.